morning. It's good to see you all this morning. I, uh, we're continuing in our Advent theme of the light. Jesus Christ, He is the light. And uh, John emphasizes that, that He is the light, uh, the true light which gives light to everyone. He was coming into the world. Today I want us to focus on that light who is among us. He is among us. He dwells among us. He dwells in us. But John highlights here in verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's this theme I want to focus on today for a few moments. Uh, we have a few other things going on today. Of course, today is the day that we vote on the budget. Last week we discussed the budget. This week we vote on the budget. We'll do that at the end of the service today. And then uh, also we have the meal that we're going to uh, partake of today, our holiday meal, Christmas meal. But I want us to focus today on the light, the light among us. Last week I pointed out, which you really didn't need pointed out to you, that light is essential to life. And Jesus Christ is the true light, and He is the life of men. It is from Him that we receive and have eternal life. John is pointing this out, uh, one, by pointing to the deity of Jesus Christ, uh, that the Word is God. And then pointing to the humanity of Jesus Christ, the Word, God, became flesh and made His dwelling among us. He is the God-man. He is truly, fully, completely God. And John points to that, uh, the apostle, all the way through uh, the first chapter and all the way through uh, the gospel of John and all the way through his letters to John and all the way through the revelation of Jesus Christ. John and his writings are very focused on the person of Jesus Christ. Sometimes people ask me every once in a while, and really it's not hard for me to answer, uh, what's your favorite part of theology? And I don't even have to bat an eye, Christology. It's always Christology. I don't know why, but it is. And I love to think about Jesus Christ. I love to think of who He is and what He has done and the work He has accomplished and the love He has demonstrated and the compassion He has embraced us with and the mercy that He has shown us. And so John is being, the Apostle John is being very Christological in this first chapter and throughout. You know, one thing that John does point out is that one can fail to see the light because they love the darkness. John chapter 3 points that out to us. That people love the darkness. The light had come into the world, but people love the darkness. Boy, we see that all around us, don't we? We even see it in us. Thank God 
for Jesus Christ, the light, who shows us when we're acting like the darkness. I want us to look at this and think concerning Jesus Christ. Uh, this time of the year we celebrate His coming, His incarnation, Him being born into this world. And I want us to notice two things. Did y'all hear that? I got two points. I got two points. Because we have stuff going on today. We're voting on the budget and we're going back there. Two points. And I have three aims. Okay, one is to exalt Jesus Christ. That should always be our aim, by the way. My aim always from this pulpit is to exalt Jesus Christ. To lift Him up and raise Him up, hopefully, in your heart. That you love Him. That you don't just love saying His name. But you love Him. It shows in all of your life. The other thing I really hope to do is to encourage you to behold Jesus. To behold Jesus. My first point to that end is the Word became flesh. And secondly, behold His glory. You said you had three aims. Yeah, I want to shock the kitchen crew today by getting out before noon. <laughs> That'll blow them away. They've never experienced that before. Okay? I don't know if I can do it. I cut it down to two points for that purpose, okay? Not just that purpose. But let's look at it. Let's think about it. And the Word, uh, let's think for a moment. John already told us who the Word is. He is God. God became flesh and dwelt among us. This word dwelt, uh, you've heard before and probably realize, is the same word for tabernacle. To tabernacle among us. He came to dwell. Do y'all know that God has always wanted to dwell with His people? In Genesis before the fall, what do you see regarding God? That He enjoyed walking through the garden in the cool of the day in fellowship with Adam and Eve. But then the fall came and what happened? That fellowship was broken. Adam and Eve cast out of the garden. Sin had entered into the world. But what's God been doing ever since then? Bringing forward a plan that He had before the foundation of the world of redeeming mankind. God has wanted to tabernacle or dwell with His people. So He instructed Moses, I want you to put up a tent. And I want you to have these furnishings. I want you to do this. I want you to have these sacrifices. He established uh, the law, if you will. And through that law, not merely the judicial law, uh, but the ceremonial law, God uh, had a plan of fellowship with His people and dwelling with them. And I will come and I will dwell in the Holy of Holies there on the mercy seat 
if you will. God wants to dwell. And if you read uh, the uh, book of Numbers and Leviticus and the Pentateuch, really, and the description of the camp, everything revolved around the tabernacle, which was the dwelling place of God. And here we see God dwelling with His people in the person of Jesus Christ. And after Jesus ascended, we see God dwelling in His people who are redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And in Revelation, you see God at the very center of everything. And what do we have? We have the people of God around them. They will be my people, and I will be their God. God always wants to dwell with His people. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Why? And it says here, and we have seen His glory. And look at verse 18 if you want to know why did He come? No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. Lord, show us the Father. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He dwelt among us so all could see the glory of Christ. So all could see His glory. It says there, and we have seen His glory. Later on, I'm going to read 1 John chapter 1, and he says something very similar. He says, he says that which was in the beginning, he said, that which we have seen and heard, we make known to you. What we've seen, we make it known. We make you able to see it by telling it to you. He came to be sin for us. But there's something that he wanted us to see. His glory. He wanted us to see the glory of God. It says here, Listen, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's two things that, he put, that point to His glory. Okay? The glory of Jesus Christ. The glory of the Son. First of all, I want you to notice that He is from the Father. Listen to what it says again. Uh, we have seen His glory. Glory as of the... Only Son from the Father. Now, usually when you see the Greek word or the English word from, most often the word behind that, the Greek word behind it is ek, ek. Okay? It's a preposition that means out from. But this is a different preposition. It's para, okay? Like parallel or paraclete. One who is beside. It's speaking of His deity. It's pointing to who Jesus 
is. He is the Son who is from the Father's side. He emphasizes that later on uh, in verse... Um, hang on, let me find it. Uh, verse uh, 18. The only God who is at the Father's side. He does it again right there. You see, what we're seeing is we're seeing two persons of the Trinity right here. Father, Son, side by side. And where is He now? He's at the right hand of the Father, isn't he? Right beside him. So one way of understanding and seeing his glory, if you will, is that he is from the Father. He's, uh, this is a statement identifying him as the Son of God. The living God. But then also, I want you to see uh, that it says uh, concerning him, uh, we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father. That only Son is speaking of His uniqueness. His glory is unique just as He is uniquely the one and only Son. There's no other like Him. This one who came to earth, who was born here, None like him. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. Speaking of Jesus says he is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the radiance of the glory of God. That kind of gives us a description of this glory. We see this glory. Uh, the glory of the sun. He is the radiance. I think it was A.W. Pink. Well, I know it was A.W. Pink. I'm fixing to quote him. Uh, who helped me to see this a little better, I think. Let me give you three statements regarding the sun and the sky. The brightness of the sun is the same nature as the sun. All right? All right, we're getting all philosophical now here, okay? The Brightness of the sun is the same nature as the sun. Secondly, never has the sun been without its brightness. Okay? Never has the sun been without its brightness. Third, the sun and its brightness are distinct from each other. You have the sun and you have the brightness of the sun. They are distinct. They've never been apart. And they have the same nature. Pink goes on and says, That which is in view so far transcends the grasp of the finite mind that it is impossible to give it adequate expression in words. Christ is the irradiation of God's glory. The mediator's relation to the Godhead is like that of the rays to the sun itself. We may conceive of the sun in the heavens, yet shining not. Were there no rays, we should not see the sun. So apart from Christ, the brightness of God's glory could not be perceived by us. Without Christ, man is in the dark, utterly 
in the dark concerning God. It is Christ that in Christ that God is revealed. He is the radiance of the glory of God. I want you to know, yes, He came to redeem, but He also came so that we would see His glory. So that we would see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He wanted us to see Him. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father. Full of grace and truth. We've got to look at that. Full of grace and truth. What's John trying to communicate to us concerning Jesus Christ? The fullness that he's speaking of is the fullness of God. He's full of grace and truth. We see this and we understand this because of what he says next. He's from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 15, look with it. It's in parentheses in my translation. Uh, and it's talking about John bore witness about him, John the Baptist, and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Okay? So what's he speaking of? He's speaking of the deity of Jesus Christ. Now we know that John the Baptist was born before Jesus. But John the Baptist doesn't outrank Jesus. John's pointing that Jesus was before him. And he's pointing to the fact that Jesus is God. That He is eternal. He's pointing to the divinity of Jesus Christ. That He is divine. That He is the living God. So this fullness, being full of grace and truth, is the fullness of God. Secondly, we get that thought from verse 16. For from His fullness, so Continuing, let's leave out the parentheses for a moment. And let's continue the thought without what he says about John the Baptist. Full of grace and truth. For from his fullness, he's pointing back to the full. He's full of grace and truth. From his fullness. By the way, because of his fullness, we have all received grace upon Grace. So he's speaking of the fullness of God. That grace upon grace, uh, it, it, it's, it's grace uh, or charis, anti-charis in the Greek. Anti, anti, against, but really upon So, grace upon grace, or grace one after another. We see that demonstrated in verse 17. For the law was given through Moses. That was grace. 
God didn't have to give us anything. He gave Moses the Ten Commandments. That was grace. And in that law, it makes known our sinfulness and our great need for redemption. Jesus fulfills that need for redemption, being full of grace and truth. He is the fullness of God. Paul uh, reiterates that in Colossians, uh, Colossians chapter 1. He says this, For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. So we see that uh, Paul sees that the fullness of God was in Christ Jesus. In Colossians 2, 9 through 10, For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Uh, Paul's highlighting that he's, he, that God, uh, Jesus Christ, is God in the flesh. And he goes on, And you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. So Jesus is the glory of God. He is the radiance of the glory of God. We see that He came so that we could see His glory and know Him uh, and know the Father through Him. But I want us to see also in Ephesians chapter uh, 4, verse 13, what it says. It says here that uh, we're to grow up, the body is to be built up, the saints are to be equipped for the building up uh, the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood. How do we know that's there? To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The fullness of Christ is the aim of our maturity in Him. So we look at this and we see Jesus is the glory of God. They had seen His glory. John is making testimony. Man, we saw His glory. We saw Him glorified. And I want us to know today, how do we see Him? How do we behold His glory? How do we look to Jesus and marvel at His grace? Have you ever asked yourself the question, what's so amazing about grace? You should ask that and try to answer it one day. What's really amazing is what John Newton said. He saved a wretch like me. Boy, I sure wasn't worth saving. The Word, God became flesh. And they saw His glory. The fullness of God dwelled in Him. And we nailed Him to the cross. Evil men did that. Murderous men did that. Nailed him to a cross. And it was through that that Jesus redeemed us and saved us. Isn't it amazing that he saved us? But isn't it funny how easily we cease to marvel at his grace? 
How we get busy with things. And we fail to marvel at His grace. Be amazed by the living God. How we just go through life and make our own way and do our own thing. Not really in pursuit of sin, but also not really in pursuit of the one who once amazed us with his grace and his love. How is it that we behold him? I take that from this word in verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, as one, one translation said. To behold His glory. It says here in the ESV, we have seen His glory. Let me give you the definition of the Greek word. To observe something with continuity and attention. Often with the implication that what is observed is something unusual. To observe, to be a spectator of, to look at. How is it that we behold Him? How do we see Jesus? I want to go through a few senses today that we have. Particularly, our ability to see, our ability to touch, and our ability to taste. You know, we don't see Jesus like we see each other. I mean, I can look out there and I recognize all of you, I think. Most everybody. And I can call you by name. All right? Unless you put on a disguise today to look like somebody else who is a member of this church, I know who you are by seeing. How is it that we see Jesus? How is it that we see what we cannot see? My mom and dad passed away 18 years ago. Uh, I remember each day very vividly. And both of them, I remember things about them. Many things, more things than I'll share with you today. And I can't see them anymore. Sure, I've got pictures and things like that. But there's a couple of things that stand out about my mom and my dad. One is my dad, although until later in life, he never said, I'm proud of you or I love you. One thing about my dad is when we were standing there, he could be standing directly in front of me or kind of off to the side. I can still... Feel, if you will, how my dad would grab hold of my shoulder right around in here. And he'd just squeeze it a little bit. I, I still, I not feel it like physically him squeezing me or thinking weirdly that my dad's standing here next to me. It's just something that my dad did that said without saying, I love you, I'm proud of you, or I'm here for you. That's all it was. 
I can still see his little smirk when he did it. He just kind of squeezed that old shoulder and gave me a smirk. I can't see him. But I remember that. When I think about it, I can feel it in a sense. Knowing what my father was communicating with me at that time. My mom had the most beautiful hands. She just did. I remember them vivid in my mind right now. I don't even have to close my eyes to see my mom's hands in my mind. I don't have to close my eyes. I can see them in my mind's eye right now. There they are. Beautiful hands. Delicate hands. I think about those hands and how many hours they scratched my back. Because I was the baby boy and I could get that, all right? Or how often while in the hospital with Stephen Johnson syndrome, she just sat there and rubbed it, rubbed in my back. She wouldn't scratch it, but she would rub it. Or as we were going through some old boxes the other day, and I found an old Afghan that my mom had crocheted. There's many of those, by the way. I can see her hands doing it. I can't see them physically in any way. But I know it was my mother's hands that made those things. There's also some boxes in there that have cross-stitch. Little things that my mom, with her hands, stitched herself with her own hand. Leaving, if you will, a legacy. And all these things that we can look to and say, it's my mama's hands that made those. I can't see them. But I can see them. You have different things that you can see that you can't see. You can't see my mother's hands, nor can you feel my father's touch. But you have something similar in your own life. But here's something that if you're in Christ... And I am in Christ that we can see. We can see the power of the cross at work in our life. And it's the same power at work in my life that is in your life. And you saw Jesus at some point, And he saved you and changed you and forgave you and gave you life. Behold His glory. Imagine the multiple times the disciples were there and they observed something that Jesus did. Whether He healed or He calmed a storm or He withered a tree. To behold His glory. I mean, they must have thought 
That's not something you see every day, don't you think? We don't see that every day. I mean, the boat's getting swamped. He said, Lord, don't you care if we perish? Peace, be still. Don't see that every day, right? To glory is to observe something with continuity and attention. Not only does it catch my attention, but there's a continuity that I want to see it always. I want to continue to look and to gaze. They marveled at the grace of God. I mean, he did did these things and then marveled. Who does this? Who turns water into wine? Who causes the lame to jump up and begin to run and shout? They marveled at the grace of God. John points that out here. Man, we we saw him. We've seen his glory. We saw him work. I look at some of you out here. And you don't know it, but when I see you, I see the glory of Christ in the sense that I marvel at how he has Saved you and changed you. That's what's so amazing about grace is He saves the likes of us. Listen to Peter talking about seeing the glory of Christ. Second Peter. Second Peter. Chapter one. In verse 16, he writes, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For when He received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice that was born to Him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven For we were with him on the holy mountain. Y'all hear that? I mean, he saw the glory. He heard the glory. And what's he doing now? He's sharing the glory. He's putting it out there. I've seen and I've heard the glory of God. We saw it. We heard it. And then look what he does. Rick, how do we see the glory of Jesus Christ? Look what he says in verse 19. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. He's speaking of Scripture How do you see the glory of Christ? You see it in the Word of God. Behold the glory of Jesus Christ. You see it in the Word of God, and then you see it in the lives of others. You see it in your own life. How could God 
caused such a person as me, a raging little boy, angry. Man, when I see that and I think about that, man, this morning I was sitting at my desk and I was kind of going over this stuff. Actually, just kind of rewrote everything this morning. I was going over this stuff and I was thinking, how do I behold His glory? I behold His glory in seeing His promises poured out in me that He redeemed me and He changed me and He's changing me. He's still doing it. That's the glory of Christ in the sense He's changing us. He's making us new. In 2 Corinthians, we see something that it says that we are the aroma of Christ. There's another sense that I didn't touch. I just did, but you know. We are the aroma of Christ. How's that? We're taking the gospel everywhere. There's another sense of smell. We're the aroma of Christ. Those who carry the gospel. Those who carry the light. Not a light of our own, but the light of Jesus Christ. But he points to the word of God. So when we think of that, we behold Jesus Christ by looking to the word of God. And what does the word of God tell us about Jesus That the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. That the Word is God. If you're going to behold Jesus Christ, you're going to behold who He is. Beholding the glory of Jesus is identifying with and seeing from the Word of God who Jesus is. It's our Christological understanding, if you will, of who He is. People can say they believe in Jesus all the time. As a matter of fact, I talk to people all the time who say, well, I believe in Jesus, but they merely believe in Him as a historical figure. If you do not believe in Jesus as God has made Him known to us, you do not see the glory of God. You do not see the glory of Christ. You see instead a historical Jesus who has no redeeming power. Just a man out of history. But instead what we see here in the word of God is Jesus Christ. Savior, Redeemer, God himself in the flesh. And so we behold who he is. He is God. He is the God man. He is fully God. He is truly God all the way through. And Peter takes us straight to the Word. So we see Him by seeing and beholding who He is. In 1 John chapter 1, John writes, the same of John who wrote the Gospel, says this, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the Word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son Jesus Christ. 
Do you hear what? We've touched him with our hands. John, how can we believe you? We touched him with our hands. How is it that we touch him? I remember going back to my mom's hands, holding those. Man, I tell you what, just in the way I'm thinking right now, I can I remember how they felt. I remember touching her hands. If I were to touch them today, I'd remember them the same way. I remember the day Jesus broke my heart over sin. Do you? Do you remember that day? Do you remember that touch, if you will? How Jesus, through the Word of God, through the preaching of the Gospel, broke your heart over sin. It's kind of like, I don't know if I ever had my heart broke over sin. Then you may have never come to know Jesus Christ. I remember that day. August 5th, 1980. I remember the day. No, I don't care for the song. It was on a Monday. No, I, I, I don't like that song. I don't know what day of the week it was on. I remember him breaking me. And at the same time, showing me redemption in Jesus Christ. I'd heard it my whole life. And then he broke me. Do you all remember that day? When he touched us, if you will. Just like the leper, he said, if you'll make me clean. I know you can make me clean if you're willing. I'm willing. And he touched him. Jesus doesn't physically touch us to save us. But he physically died that we could be redeemed. That he would save us. Behold his glory, who he is. But John's saying, hey, you know what? We touched him with our hands. And now we make him known to you. That's what happens. He makes him known to us. And he's made him known to you. Then I want us to see also in Psalm 34. Psalm 34. It says this, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. Oh, fear the Lord, you His saints. For those who fear Him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger. But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. The light, He is among us. Uh, the Word, He became flesh. We are called to behold His glory, to see Him, to touch Him, to taste and see that the Lord is good. How do we do that day in and day out? How do we experience Him like that day in and day out? I want to point to two words here in Psalm 34, 8 to help us to see how it is that we live out this beholding the glory of Christ. The first, taste and see. I'm looking forward to 
eating back here. Usually dessert. By the way, the dessert plates are about this big around, all right? Just want y'all to know. They put those little ones up there. I don't know why they misplaced the dessert plates, but they put them over there by the food. It just goes with it, okay? I've already been back there to check them out. I already know what I'm going for, all right? I'm tasting all of it. Gordon's back here laughing. He thinks it's not going to happen, but it is. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How do you do that? Verse 9, fear the Lord, you His saints. We behold the glory of God, the glory of Christ, when we fear the Lord. When we revere Him, when we exalt Him, when we lift Him up. And this being Jesus Christ. We're to fear God. We're to revere Him and reverence Him. That's a word we don't use much, but to reverence Him. Behold who He is. He is the Christ. And we are to revere Him as God. Look what it says there. Those people who do that, they have no lack. They take refuge in the living God. But then next, I want us to see what it says. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Behold the glory of God. Seek Him. Fear Him is what the psalmist is saying. If we're going to experience Him in these senses, if you will, Behold who He is. He is the living God. Fear Him. Revere Him. Exalt Him in your heart and in your life. And seek Him. You know, the Bible says no one seeks after God except the children of God, except those who have been called for His purpose, who have been called to His redemption. Jesus is the light among us, and we're to live in the light of his glory. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for your great love and your great care for us. I want to thank you, Lord, for Jesus Christ. I thank you, God, that you, Father, work in us, Lord, the gospel of Christ, and you call us to yourself, and you break us before you. And you help us to see the holiness of God in light of the sinfulness of us. And you call us to yourself. Father, I thank you for saving us. I thank you, Lord, for putting in us your spirit and loving us, Lord. And I pray, God, that we would uh, know and sense Jesus Christ in us always as the children of God. Father, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.